Welcome to Connect Church. We're a new church in the East Windsor Heightstown area, and we're a church that is looking to connect to Jesus and community. We're so glad you've joined us. Hello, everyone. My name is Dave, and last week we kicked off a series called Frequently Asked Questions, where we're just looking at some things that we often think about uh, and wrestle with. You know, we've all had moments of disappointment where things didn't work out exactly maybe the way uh, that we wanted them to. Each of us has experienced pain in our lives. And uh, if you're like me, your natural tendency is to do everything you can to avoid pain uh, in whatever shape that looks like. And this can be very dangerous because we have this tool called Google and you can Google anything and get information on anything. Often, uh, Meg and I have to tell each other to not put our symptoms of whatever we're feeling in Google because you convince yourself that you have something you don't have or you come up with some extreme remedy. Um, but we'll do anything we can to try to avoid pain. One time I was playing basketball and I rolled my ankle pretty bad. And in standard me fashion, I did not go to the doctor for several months and it just got worse and worse and worse. And it was just swollen for a really long time. And I was so desperate to get rid of the pain of the swollen ankle. It hurt to walk just about every day. And uh, so a friend of mine told me, he said, listen, there's a, there's a home remedy that you can use to solve this issue with your ankle. And I said, it will work immediately. He said, you get honey wrap honey or, or, or put honey all on your ankle, take cabbage leaves, put cabbage leaves around that, and then put it in a plastic bag and sleep like that. And when you wake up in the morning, uh, you're going to be great. And I looked and I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. And uh, he was he was a Ukrainian friend. I'm half Ukrainian. And he told me that uh, this was a Ukrainian uh, remedy that was passed down to him. And growing up in my home, I heard about Ukrainian tricks and remedies. So I figured, oh, I just didn't hear this one before. And so I went and I did it, and as you can imagine, nothing happened. And so I thought, well, maybe I didn't do it right. So I did it again the next day, and as you can imagine, again, nothing happened. Uh, and so I went back to my friend. He couldn't believe it. He said he, he does it all the time. And so I moved on to the next remedy that I found on Google where I made a, a, a couple gallons of hot tea and then stuck my foot in it. And as you can guess, that did nothing either, right? Uh, we want to do whatever we can uh, to eliminate pain in our life. And we know this on a much more serious level than maybe a rolled ankle or a swollen ankle. We, we know that there's emotional pain we carry. Um, as I sometimes substitute teaching in schools, I can see just sometimes even on the faces of students, pain that they're carrying. We know the pain of interacting maybe with family and loved ones where things have been challenging. We, we, we know the pain of losing a loved one. Whether we look on a global scale or on a personal scale, we see pain, we see evil. It can even get to a point where we, we get numb to it just because we don't want to deal with it anymore. And so we ask why. We want an explanation, a reason, a purpose. You know, Jesus said that in this world we will have trouble. If we think that following Jesus somehow exempts us from pain, then we, we've been deceived on that. Uh, sometimes even following Jesus could bring more pain into our lives. And so the question we want to wrestle with today is what do we do with this pain? If God is good, if God is powerful, like, like, like how, how does that affect the pain in our life? And as we talk to this today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit on a theological end and just kind of a, a, a brain and head space end of things. I think that's important. We need to know that. But we also want to talk to the heart as well. So we'll kind of bounce back and forth. And so appreciate you uh, sticking with us uh, through this as we see how ultimately the hope of the gospel can deal uh, with our pain. And so we have to wrestle with some hard questions today. The first is this, if God is good, then why do we have evil in this world? Why do we have sickness and disease and all kinds of evil and pain that we could think of? And maybe a logical first step to us to ask is, well, where did evil come from? Did God create evil? You know, someone could say, yeah, God created evil. And here's perhaps the reason you're seeing it on a slide. Did God create all things? Yes. Is evil something? Yes. So then God created evil. 
And if this is true, that needs to be disturbing to us. How can we proclaim, proclaim that God is good, but yet say he created evil? Well, we could respond to that. And, and, and here's the response that you're seeing now. E evil is not a thing. Evil is a corruption of a good thing. It's a corruption of a good thing that God has made. I want you to think about and process that for a minute. Evil is not a thing, but it's a corruption of a good thing. Maybe some examples can kind of help us with this. Imagine we have a beautiful tree here that we're looking at. Over time, that tree will eventually face rot and decay, right? Is it still a tree? Yes, but the good thing has been corrupted. Or think perhaps about a beautiful piece of bread. Yes, I said beautiful bread because bread is beautiful, right? Think about sourdough or pumpernickel or rye, some of the ones that I really like. And, and you could have this nice piece of bread here and all it takes is something else that's good like air uh, hitting that bread for an extended period of time and all of a sudden it's going to get hard, it's going to get moldy, uh, it will no longer be useful. Is it no longer bread? No, it's still bread, but it's been corrupted by another good thing, even in that instance. Or think about moth holes that end up in cloth. The cloth is still cloth, but it's been corrupted uh, by the moths. And so evil is a corruption of good. If the good thing does not exist to begin with, the corruption could not happen. And so evil is not a thing in the sense of the piece of bread or the tree of the cloth, but rather it's the corruption of those things. That doesn't mean that evil is not real. It's real. It's a real lack of good. An example maybe to think about this is blindness is a real lack of good. It's a real lack of sight. And so evil is real, but it's not a thing in the same sense as it was created. Rather, it's a corruption of good. But a logical next question after that could be, if evil is a corruption of good, then how did evil come into existence? How did it even happen the, the first time considering that everything was good? And so, so you're kind of seeing a slide that will help us walk through this as well. If we trust the story that all creation was created good, okay, we know that. Is God perfect? Yes. Did God create anything imperfect? No. Then we have to ask, can a perfect creature do evil? Yes. One example would be Satan created in a perfect state. He had no tempter. He was in a good environment where no evil existed, yet he rebelled against God. See, one of the good things that God created is free will. Free will, we could define it as the ability to choose or the ability to do otherwise. Both Satan and then Adam had free will, free choice. Free will makes evil possible uh, because it's this power to do otherwise. For example, we are free to love God and we're also free to hate him. We are free to love our parents or other people in our life, but we're also free to hate them. We're free to praise God, but we're free to blaspheme him. We're free to help others, but we're also free to tear others down. And so a perfect creature in a perfect environment with no previous evil there, like Satan or like Adam, has the ability to introduce evil with their choices. And someone could say, well, then why did God even create free will to begin with? Like he could have just left it out of the, the equation. But think about how much of a blessing that is. Think about how much of a blessing is to be able to choose who we love and who we care about and what we like. If we didn't have choices like that, we would be robots. We would be puppets. We wouldn't really be able to love God or be in a relationship with God. And so we're not cookie cutters. Free will is a good thing. And so we can maybe say it like this. God made evil possible by giving us free will. We made evil actual by using that free will to corrupt something that is good and in essence introduce evil. Let me give you an example. We, we often think about Henry T. Ford as, as one of the inventors of, of the uh, cars. And uh, he made evil possible with those cars, right? Certainly a car could be used for evil. You could use it hit and run. You could text and drive. You could drink and drive. You could smuggle things, whatever the case may be. You can do all these things uh, with, with a car. Now, we would never say, well, Henry T. Ford is responsible for those things. No, he created something good, 
But that good thing it can be corrupted and be used for something evil. The same, the same is true here. Free will is good. That's a blessing that God has given us. But then we can use it for our evil. And so, so maybe we could even say it like this. No evil needed to exist in order for someone to choose evil the very first time. Right? We're looking at this like how in a perfect environment did evil even get in? How did that corruption even happen? Well, it, it, it happened like this. It was simply choosing the lesser good. Give an example to kind of help us out. Imagine that you're hungry, and I'm talking you're hungry, that your stomach is growling. People are kind of looking at you funny, like, what's going on with that guy over there? Why is his stomach making noises? And so you go to your kitchen, and uh, you open up the drawers, the cabinets, you know, the refrigerator. You sur uh, survey everything that's there, and you eventually come down to, hey, I got this apple over here. And I got this nice sleeve of peanut butter cookies or Oreos or whatever you like, or this huge block of cheese, whatever. I'm just talking to myself here, right? You got all those kinds of things. And okay, there's a there's a greater good in that moment, a long-term good, probably the apple. And there's a good of the moment. Wow, these this whole sleeve of Oreos is gonna taste awesome right now. It's gonna satisfy, it's gonna give me, you know, a dopamine hit. It's gonna satisfy something right now, but in the long run, it's definitely the lesser good. Um, maybe another example, imagine you're on the Titanic and, and everybody's scrambling to get off and there's one more seat on the lifeboat. You could jump on that lifeboat or that life raft and, and, and save yourself, but there's also an option to inflate another life raft and save 10 people along with yourself, right? We could see a lesser good and a, a greater good. And, and so, so as we look at this in relation to what we're talking about, you know, a, a creature like, like, like Satan or Adam chose the lesser good, maybe we could say their own personal good over God's greater good think about the case of adam right he, he chose his own good of, oh I'll, I'll be wise in my own eyes i could step out i could be in control falsely he's thinking all these things but 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 he chose that over god's greater good uh, of which he commanded him so evil first entered this world while the world was in a perfect state while there was no corruption simply by choosing the lesser good and i i know that's a lot to chew on so let's just kind of recap that real quick right god did not create evil Evil is a corruption of good. Evil entered a perfect environment simply by the choosing of a lesser good. And, and, and so let's stop here, though, to make some applications before we kind of get back to, to theologically processing this a little bit. The first application is this. We cannot blame God for evil. He didn't create it. But it is good to cry out to God about evil. And then we should do that. And we should do that regularly. It's good to express our frustrations, even our anger and our bitterness or whatever may be there about what we're facing. It's okay to, to, to lay that at the Lord's feet, to, 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 to kind of say it any way we need to for him. Don't be afraid to tell God what's going on in our lives in those ways. Listen to Psalm 13. Uh, David writes, he says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. And, and, and so we know from the life of David, he faced a lot of evil. He was falsely accused of things. He's on the run from Saul. Lots of issues. And he basically says, Lord, have you forgotten me? Uh, like, Lord, you've abandoned me. Because here I am. Evil's winning. My enemies are winning. Like, what's going on? It's okay to cry out to God that way. We need to do that when we face pain and we face evil. But I love how David wraps up the psalm. He says this in the last two verses. He says, By trust in your unfailing love, my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. So he basically says, all this evil is happening. God, I don't understand it. Where are you? You're not acting. What's going on? But I still trust you. 
David basically gospel coached himself, Kairos level three, whatever whatever you language you want to put around it. He saw this gap in his belief for God, where are you? How come you're not there? I feel abandoned. He, he let God have it. But then he also reminded himself of the truth. God has been good to me. So David, in this time of desperation, still declares that God has been good. And so we too should lay out our frustrations and our desperation before God. Let's be raw and real and honest about it. But then let's also tell ourselves the truth. God has been good to me. The problem is that the blessings often fade into the background when we're seeing the evil and the pain in our lives. You know, you know, think about our lives for a minute, right? We, we, we drive on paved roads and we have air conditioning and heat. And we could turn the water on and make it hot or cold, whatever we desire in that moment. And, and, and we have clothing and whatever the case, if we have to be honest about it, we have been blessed by God. God has been good to me. Despite evil that I'm currently facing and that you're currently facing, despite pain I currently have and you have, God has still been good to me. And so we have to remind ourselves of that. We have to remind ourselves. In fact, we, we could even take it a step further. We actually deserve more evil than what we face. We deserve more pain. That might seem weird, like like, like the process. Wait, wait, wait. How, how can that be true? Uh, I want to walk through a scripture of, of Luke chapter 13. Listen to this, Luke 13, 1 to 2. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? So a group of people come to Jesus and say, hey, did you hear what Pilate did to the Galileans? Now, Pilate, we know, was, was, was a ruler who eventually sentenced Jesus to the crucifixion, right? The Galileans were a group of people. Uh, and he says, hey, Pilate killed them in a vicious way. And Jesus responds very interestingly here. He says, he says do you think they deserved it? He, he, he's like, were they so evil that they deserve this over others? Do you think that they were bad people and this is why God let it happen to them? It's like, whoa, maybe not the response I was expecting Jesus to give uh, in, in, in that moment. And then Jesus kind of answers his, his own rhetorical question there. He says this in verses 3 to 5, I tell you no. Okay, so they didn't deserve it. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. And so Jesus says, no, they weren't evil. And this is why it happened to them. But he said, use this as an opportunity to examine your own life. And, and, and so, so Jesus says, when evil happens, we should, should kind of ask, we, instead of saying, oh, they were bad. That's why it happened to them. We should really say, why didn't it happen to me? Because ultimately, if we're honest with ourselves, evil is what we deserve for our sin. For, for, for the way we live without God. Each one of us, including myself, put me at the front of the line, has, has sinned in an incredible amount of way. We're deserving of punishment for our sins. Outside of Christ, no one is good. Not even the, the, the person that we could think of as, as, as being the best or the most moral or the most upright is not deserving of this. And so all sin is evil. Whether it's something that we would deem small or large by social context, does not matter. All sin is evil. All sin is heinous, including mine, including yours. And because of evil, because of our sin, we deserve separation from God. Now, the good news we know is the hope that we find in Jesus. Jesus has instead paid us life. And, and, and so when we face evil, we, we shouldn't look at that as, as punishment. Because if God was going for punishment, nobody would exist. We, we would not exist anymore. But in fact, when we face evil, it should be this continual reminder for us, I need a Savior. And Jesus has been that Savior for me. And God has been good to me in spite of the evil and the pain that I face, that I face. Then when I face evil, it should be a reminder that without Jesus, I'm stuck in my sin, condemned, deserving of death and eternal separation from God. But no, God has been merciful to me. 
It's a reminder of what David said in Psalm 13. God has been good to me. And so, yes, our first application today is that we need to cry out to God about evil. We could be real and honest about it, and then we can realize he has been good to us. But the second application maybe we could put is this. We have to think about our choices. Do I choose my own personal good over God's infinite good? And think about how this may look. Maybe we try to save ourselves with lying or whatever the case may be. Or someone someone damages our reputation and so we do whatever we can to, to, to damage them or whatever the case. We choose our personal good a lot over God's greater good. And if that's the case, then we are perpetuating evil. We're continuing to bring evil and pain in by choosing our own personal good over God's greater good. And so as disciples of Jesus, we need to push that to the side and follow him with a whole heart. Okay, let's kind of get back to the, to, the, to the brain side of it. God didn't create evil. Evil is a corruption of good brought into existence by choosing personal good over God's infinite good. And so then the next question that maybe we could ask is, then why didn't God do something right away about it? As soon as Satan and Adam introduced evil into the equation, why didn't he do something right? Just, just stomp it out. Just get rid of it right, right then and there. So this way we could kind of start, start over. And, and, and maybe we could kind of process this way. We, we believe that God is good. And so if God is good, then he has to oppose evil by very definition. We believe that God also is all-knowing. So it's not that God is unaware that evil has happened. He knows all the past evil that's happened, the evil that's happening now, and the evil that is yet to come. We also believe that God is all-powerful, that nothing is too difficult. And certainly it's within his capability to eliminate evil. So why doesn't he end it? Some will often say this is why they don't believe in God, or at least a God that's good, because evil still exists and still abounds. And so how can we respond to this? Well, if God, and you're seeing a slide that can help walk you through this, if God is all good, he would defeat evil. If God is all powerful, he could defeat evil. Okay, so here's the last part. Evil is not yet defeated. Let me share with you a quote from Dr. Norman Gleiser when speaking on this topic. He said this. He said, the fact that evil is not currently defeated does not mean that it will not be defeated. It can be defeated later today or next Thursday. For example, the fact that I'm in the middle of a sentence does not mean that I'm not going to finish the sentence. I haven't finished it yet, but I will. And so Dr. Gleiser's point is, you know, it, it, yes, evil is not defeated right now, but that does not mean that God will not one day defeat evil. You know, here at Connect Church, we have a, a preaching team that kind of looks over our messages each week. And I love this because we get feedback from different people. One of the guys in our church, Carlton, shared this this week as we were kind of processing this message. And I think it's a really great point. He talked about he talked about how because evil is not yet defeated actually speaks to God's patience. Because if we were to be honest about this, if God was to simply just wipe out evil as soon as it started, we would not be here anymore. We would be part of that equation. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Jesus also tells the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And in that parable, he talks about how, how, how a guy goes out and he plants wheat, and then an enemy comes and plants weeds. And they come and say, should we rip out the weeds? He says, no, because in doing so, you may damage the wheat. In other words, there'll be a time that these weeds, that the evil will be dealt with, but the time for it is not right now. It doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It just means it's not right now. And so it's not just cut and dry like we think, like, oh, just wipe out evil. That would be a very serious thing to happen. So God will do it. He hasn't done it yet, but he will. Okay, we could ask then how? How, how? What will that look like? Whatever God does that, what will that look like? A few thoughts and you're seeing a slide to help you with this. Well, first, he allows everyone to freely choose their destiny. This means that free will is preserved. God doesn't have to make us robots to get rid of evil. We could choose our destiny. And then he defeats evil by first separating good from evil forever. 
right? Good and evil do not get along, and so he's got to separate them. He, he then quarantines evil forever. Last week, Pastor Frank shared about hell. This, this, is, this is part of that. And in our world right now, we know about quarantining. We've just come through the pandemic, right? We know that someone got sick. They had to be quarantined so that others don't get sick. And if we apply that thought process to evil, as long as there are people that are bent on evil and want to choose personal good, as long as that continues to exist, evil will continue to be perpetuated, right? And so there has to be a quarantining of this. There's a reason and even a need for hell. And again, I would encourage you to go back and listen to Pastor Frank's message last week on that. That was, that was very helpful in that. God will also punish evil and reward good in heaven, and he'll defeat death and Satan. And, and he's already defeated death and Satan in, 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 in a major sense already. That's happened at the cross. I want you to listen to these scriptures, Colossians 2. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, we have made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so, so Colossians says, man, Satan's been disarmed. Like, that's already happened. And Hebrews says this way, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. And so we have been free. That's already happened. The devil's been knocked out on the cross. He's all bark and no bite at this point. And in fact, think about Jesus' words. He says, all authority has been given to him. Often we give authority back to the enemy when we choose our personal good over, over, over God's greater good. But the ultimate culmination of the defeat of evil will ultimately happen at the second coming, at the return of the Lord, where that full defeat will happen. Okay, so we know how evil got here. Uh, we know that God will deal with it. It will happen. His very nature demands it. But then we ask the question, is there any purpose in the evil and in the pain that we feel now? Right, because we have to think, okay, and all good God must have a purpose for everything, right? Uh, but but sometimes it seems like there's no purpose to us. We could again think about sickness and disease and other things we face, and, and so someone might say, okay, then then God's not good. Okay, we know He's powerful; He'll defeat evil someday. But then He can't be good because we don't see a purpose here and now. Okay, let's process that a little bit. Just because we don't see a purpose doesn't mean that there is not a purpose. We don't know everything. I want you to think about a biblical example, all right? Abraham. God tells Abraham to leave where he is and go to the promised land, right? Abraham faced a lot of hardships and trials throughout that process. You can read that in the book of Genesis. Um, he faced a lot of pain and, and maybe even we could say evil through that. Um, but God was doing something that the purposes would not be revealed for centuries beyond this, for descendants beyond this. And so, yes, Abraham did not see the full picture, but it does not mean that there wasn't a full picture, that there wasn't a purpose. Think about our lives. As I think about myself, I mentioned before that I'm half Ukrainian. I'm also half Italian. And so there was ancestors on both sides of my family that at some point said they're going to come to America. And they probably faced pain and hardship in doing that and challenge and doing it. And I'm reaping the benefit of many of the things that they chose to do hundreds of years before me. Right. And decisions that they made. Right. And so, so just because I don't see the purpose right now doesn't mean that there's not blessing and, and, and a purpose later on in that. And so in all good, God does have a purpose, even if we don't know it. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. There, there's not everything we're going to know. And a lot of this is a journey of faith. Lord, I trust your character even though I don't know. 
The Apostle Paul said in the New Testament, he said, he said we kind of see through this glass darkly. Like, 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 like we just don't see clear now. We, we got a picture, but we don't have the whole picture. And so sometimes we may know the purpose or the purpose may be revealed later on in life or whatever. And that may happen. But oftentimes it, it, it doesn't. Uh, but I do know the kind of God that I served. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 11. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. You know, I, I'm this finite creature. I'm this speck. I'm this vapor. Uh, and, you know, and, and I'm not God. I don't know everything. I don't know the reason. I don't see the whole playing field. I just see my moment in time right now. And I have to acknowledge that limitation. And so there might not, I might not see a purpose, but that doesn't mean there isn't one. Now, with that being said, Pain can still serve a purpose even if we don't know the whole purpose. Think about this. Some pains actually have a good purpose. Think about warning pains. You get a pain in your teeth or pain in your chest, right? These are warning pains. These are signs that something needs to be addressed. A lot of times when we see pain in our life, it can give us warning pains. Maybe there's something that needs to be addressed in our life and, and dealt with. And so it gives us an opportunity to examine those things. But another aspect of this, even if I don't know what the grand purpose is, we also know that we learn more through pain than we do pleasure. Just think about the major lessons we've learned in our lives. Often they're born out of seasons of pain. It's where our character is developed. It's where the, maybe even sometimes the fruit of the Spirit is formed in us in those moments. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God wants to get our attention. I heard someone give an example of of of, uh, um, of an animal. And they said, you know, God, God won't tie a rope around the neck of an animal and force it into the kingdom. But he will take a two by four and hit the, the animal over the head to try to get his attention, right? And that sounds like a crazy thing. But, but yeah, God is trying to get our attention often. He's not creating the pain. He's not creating the evil. But often he'll use that to wake us up in moments where we need it. And so think about that. God whispers in our pleasures. You're on the beach. You're hiking. You're doing something that's enjoyable. And you're like, oh, man, God is so great. This is, this is awesome. God's whispering to us in those moments. God speaks to us in our conscience. We're driving down the road, and we're going well over the speed limit. And, and uh, we pass the cop, and we don't see the lights go on behind us. God's whispering to us in our conscience, hey, be smart here, be wise. There's a better way, right? But then God shouts in our pain. We're in a moment of physical pain, emotional pain, whatever the case may be. And God is shouting to us to get our attention. God redeems our pain. Genesis 50 says this. Joseph, he speaks, he says to his brothers, he says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so Joseph takes this moment that certainly had pain and evil. He probably didn't even understand the full scope of it because, again, it would affect generations beyond him. But he says, man, you tried to bring evil. You tried to bring God's used that. God's spoken to me through that. God has redeemed that. Okay, so we know how evil got here. We know why it happens. We know we'll be defeated. We know there is a purpose, even if we don't always see the purpose. But it still leaves us this question, what do I do with the pain that I'm feeling right now? And I don't know how you came in to, to this service today, whether, whether you're carrying pain or maybe everything is going great. If, if everything's going great, there'll be a moment where pain's going to happen, I'm sure. What, what, what do we do? Just a couple of thoughts. God sees our pain. He's not blind to it. 
As we mentioned before, we could pour out our heart to God. We should do that. We should share with him. But all throughout the scriptures, we see God noticing and responding to pain. Think about Hagar crying out and broken. God sees and responds. Joseph in prison. God sees and responds. Israel in slavery. God sees and responds. David on the run from Saul. People in exile. God sees and responds. But ultimately, God has seen our pain face to face. God stepped into this world as Jesus. And we see Jesus responding to the pain that he saw the scripture would talk about how he would have compassion on the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And we saw Jesus have compassion, whether it was physical pain uh, with many healings, but we could also think about relational pain. Think about Zacchaeus, right? And Jesus, I got to go eat with that guy. There was, there was pain there for And Jesus saw it. Listen to Mark chapter one. It says, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Jesus said, I came to preach, and he paired with that driving out demons, which kind of sounds like healing. It sounds like dealing with pain. In fact, a book about uh, a, a prophecy in the book of Isaiah about Jesus says this in Isaiah 61. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That really sounds like Jesus had this mission of sharing the gospel, the good news, and also dealing dealing with pain. Jesus is not indifferent. He's not uncaring. He's not unaware. He sees our pain. And here's the good news. He's not limited in the amount of pain he can heal. I don't know, maybe you've done this. I, I know I have sometimes and it really shows uh, really just how much I don't understand the Lord. Something like, Lord, I, I could deal with the pain in my knee, but heal the pain in my foot. <laughs> you know, like as if somehow God was limited, that he could only do one a day. And there's no, there's no quota, right? right? God can heal anything. He can deal with our pain. He sees it all and he knows it all. And so God sees in our pain, but then God also understands our pain. God himself feels pain. I think God is pained when, when, when we have opportunities to share the gospel and we don't share the gospel. I, I, I think God is pained when, when we sin and when we rebel against him in that way. I think God is pained at the injustice and evil that we see in the world when, when, when I lie or deceive or whatever the case may be. I believe God is pained in those moments. And if we think about it, God knew all that. He knew I would cause him pain, yet he created me. He knew you and yet he created you. And so, so we do everything we can to avoid pain, but God embraced it. In fact, it wasn't just that he created us knowing he would feel pain. He stepped into this humanity. God came to this earth as Jesus and stepped into our pain. And he, he didn't have an on-off switch. We talk about Jesus being fully God, fully man. And Jesus just felt the pain of the loss of a loved one. We think about Lazarus, right? He, he wept. That was real. The pain of the cross. Jesus didn't just flip a switch and say, okay, I don't feel pain. Well, no, he, he, he felt that pain. And so he can truly understand every pain that we face. You know, sometimes when someone shares a pain with us, we may understand, but also we may not. We may have never experienced that. But Jesus truly understands every single pain that we have felt with. He's walked with it. And so, so, so he sees our pain. He understands our pain. And ultimately, the gospel deals with our pain. You know, there's a pain that we might even be unaware of. And maybe, or maybe at the very least, we're aware of it, but we don't know the exact cause. Each of us strives to be fulfilled. Each of us strives to maybe avoid pain, to find purpose and meaning. And, and, but yet we can't put our finger on what it quite is missing in our life. Think about our physical bodies. 
a lot of times our physical bodies, we can feel pain, but we don't always know the source. You know, what, what exactly is causing that? If we can't you know, pinpoint an injury or whatever the case may be. Our spiritual component is no different. We're trying to fix things in here, but a lot of times we don't know the source. Can I tell you today, the gospel tells us the source. We have been made to be in a relationship with God. We've been made to bring glory and honor to God. No amount of money or success or no amount of even removal of all the other pains and evils will satisfy us like it would to be in this relationship with God. But we talked before about how our sin, our own evil is in the way, but God has redeemed that through the cross. He set us free from that and he invites us that we can be in this relationship with him. And so the gospel deals with our pain just as jesus went to the cross so that we could be the righteousness of god now we can stand in this right relationship with god our spiritual pain can be dealt with and maybe you're watching today you've never thought about spiritual pain before i would encourage you the holy spirit may be speaking to your heart to trust in jesus to deal with that pain others maybe you have thought about it you want to commit your life to christ you can do that wherever you're watching with today what does that mean it means i'm saying you know what what jesus did on the cross it was for me He's restored me through that. His death and resurrection gives me new life. And whatever platform you're watching on, there's a link. Just click it there. Let us know that that's where you're at. We want to follow up with you. We want to walk with you. We want to celebrate with you of how God is setting you free from spiritual pain in your life. But for others, maybe God's already dealt with that in your life. Awesome. We praise him uh, for that. But the gospel gives us hope for eternity as well. One day there will be no more pain. Can't wait. No more physical, emotional pain. Oh, it's going to be awesome. But it's not just about eternity. Jesus is the pain healer even here and now. You know, we, we read before from Isaiah that Jesus' mission was to proclaim the good news, the gospel salvation, but also to set the captive free, to bind up the brokenhearted, the here and now. And so whether you're facing physical or emotional or any other type of pain, I believe that Jesus can heal us in the here and now. And yes, it might be instantaneous. We're going to pray today and believe that whatever you're facing, that God's going to deal with it today. It also might be a process. I don't know. I can't promise you one or the other, but let's approach him in faith. Lord, we believe you're the one who deals with these things. Lord, we believe you're the one who brings truth to this. I, I think about a passage in scripture where a Roman centurion came to Jesus asking Jesus to heal his servant. And, and the Roman centurion says, listen, Jesus, I know you have authority. You don't even need to come and see the servant. You just say the word and the servant will be healed. And that's what happened. And Jesus marveled at the faith of this man. He said, wow, like what great faith that... You're willing to say just by the word. And so maybe today we have to stir our faith a little bit. And, and, and I ask you, what is the object of our faith? You know, I'm, I'm sitting in a chair as we record this. And, uh, and I often joke with Pastor Frank when we record that, that, uh, that, that this chair scares me. I'm afraid I'm going to fall out, right? And so I'll tell you, I'm like 90% sure that this chair is going to hold me right now, right? Other times I sit on other chairs that are worse. I'm like, I'm 10% sure, right? Really, the percentage of my faith in the chair doesn't matter. I could be 98%. I could be 100%. Either the chair can hold me or not. It's really what's the object of my faith. And, 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 and so it's not about how much faith I can muster, so to speak. Jesus has a faith of a mustard seed, something very small. He's like, that's enough. Like, like, like that will do it. It's really what's the object of my faith. And so for the Roman centurion, the object of his faith wasn't whether the physical proximity of whether Jesus could get to the servant or not. It was his faith. The object of his faith was Jesus. And so we have to ask ourselves the same question. When I face pain, what do I make the object of my faith? If it's, well, I'm going to fix this pain. I'll deal with this evil. Then I've become the object of his faith. If it's, oh, somebody else will fix this. They become the object. And God uses other people. Absolutely. If it's, I'll avoid this pain then all those things I use to self-medicate, so to speak, become the object of my faith. 
Or has it become, Jesus is the object of faith for the pain that I carry? Whatever it looks like, whatever the timing is, Jesus, you are the one who I'm looking to. You are the one who I'm trusting. And, you know, bad things may happen to good people in this world, but this world is not the end. We know there's an eternity full of hope. Bad things may happen to good people, but God will use those bad things for an ultimate good, even if we don't see it in our lifetime. Bad things may happen to good people, but those bad things often equip believers for deeper ministry. Bad things may happen to good people in this world, but the worst things happened to the best person. Jesus was the only truly righteous one, yet he suffered more than each of us could imagine. And so when we follow in his footsteps, we're living out 1 Peter chapter 2, which says, If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus is no stranger to our pain. He's modeled for us and he often calls us to moments and seasons that have pain. But our object of faith needs to be in him. One last scripture, and then we'll close today. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What does God want for us? He wants us to give thanks in all circumstances. That means in the good. It also means in the pain and the evil and suffering. I know I need to work on that. And why could we give thanks? Because we know that God is growing us. No, it doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. So, Lord, even in a moment of pain, you are the object of my faith. You're working, even if it's for generations beyond me. I trust in you. And so I want to pray for you today. And I would encourage you, maybe you want to take some time today to get alone with God and pour out a Psalm 13. Let him know your heart. Let him know where you're seeing the frustrations. And maybe you want to physically even write it, whatever that may look like in your life. And then recount how God has been good. Recount the goodness of God. Remind yourself the truth of where your faith is in him. And so, so as we pray today, I'm going to pray that Jesus would be the only object of our faith, nothing else. And I want to pray that we would even see instantaneous healing in some of our lives. Maybe it's, a, it's, it's over a process. We're going to leave that part to the Lord. But, but that we're going to trust and believe that God is the healer, the object of our faith. Let me pray for you today. Jesus, we need your help. And so, Lord, we even give you thanks. The pain, the evil that we're facing, no matter how crazy it is right now. And Lord, maybe even how hard it is to say that. Lord, we give you thanks because we know you're still working. You're on the throne. You're good. You're powerful. There is a purpose, even if we don't see it. We trust your character, Lord, which has been proved time and time again. And so, Jesus, we ask for your help. We ask for your endurance. But, Lord, you are the object of our faith. And, Lord, we pray even now situations that are just a mess in our life, physical pain, whatever we're facing. Lord, we give it to you. Lord, we ask you to move in a powerful way. Lord, that your name would be honored in our lives in these seasons, Lord. Lord, that people that are sick would be made well. Lord, situations that seem impossible will be changed by your power, Lord Jesus. And so we trust you. We declare you the object of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this encourages you to take your next steps in your faith journey with God. You can check us out more on connectchurchnj.com. Have a great day.